Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. This is the Friday edition where I'm going to go through every week for game. I'm going to preview that. I have a somewhat new system here where I've been pulling together a bunch of different pieces of information, stats, trends that may be a little bit undervalued. And I'm also going to focus a bit more on the betting angles here. It's tough the first few weeks of the season to make hay of what's going on here. Uh, This week, I'm going to talk more about plays that I like for anyone who follows me on Twitter. And I forgot to mention this in the uh, Tuesday show was the fact of how much I liked the Jaguars plus the seven and a half points. You know, I mentioned it on another podcast, which I retweeted out there. I mentioned it on the PFF daily betting podcast. I tweeted about it separately a couple of times. So I'm going to go ahead and log that one as a W for myself. Um, as you know, if you watched the game last night, which ended up being pretty good, I think the, uh, the Bengals won by a last second field goal. Just to quickly go over what happened in that game, the expected unexpected stuff that went on. I mean, I'll say that what was a little bit unexpected was the fact that there was no pressure on either guy. I mean, Both of these defensive fronts can't generate much pressure, but the offensive lines also have not been good in the competition that they've faced. Um, But the Bengals, you know, maybe there is something going on there. Uh, They've been giving up what was a very, very high sack rate to Joe Burrow. He had one of the highest sack rates in the league, but the last couple of weeks, uh, they've done a better job protecting him, although he did take one sack in this game. And he took another on a play that ended up getting called back because of a defensive hold, I believe. And just overall in the game, Broad picture, who played better or worse than the score? I would say that I would slightly lean towards the Jaguars being about equal to the Bengals in this game, although they ended up losing the game. The reason being, there are a couple of things that offset. Uh, The Bengals missed a very, very makeable field goal. So that was an EPA loss of almost three points because of the fact that not only did they not get the three points from the very makeable field goal, but they give up a little uh, field position there too, when they had to give that up. So there's that the Jags did not convert the fourth down, which was less than a yard near the goal line. The lost EPA on that was more than four. And in reality, because they're so close, it was really less, less than a yard. I think you could maybe even skew it a little bit higher than that. So that, that netted out that way. And You know, the headline stats for the Bengals, if you're going to look at how good they were from a efficiency standpoint, I mean, Burrow was better than Lawrence, right? Burrow was averaging 0.44 EPA per play versus 0.25 for Lawrence, but those are both really solid numbers. Um, But if you look at the, the success rate numbers, the... Jaguars were actually better in both categories. They were uh, they were better rushing the ball, just efficiency-wise, period. But they also had higher success rate at a total 55% success rate, only 53 for the Bengals. So the way that the Bengals derived all of this extra, extra uh, EPA here and the fact that they had a higher EPA for the game was mostly, I'd say the most unexpected things were two very long passes to the tight end, CJ Uzoma, 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 I don't know. I can never say his name correctly, Um, but you know, he was targeted six times and they got eight EPA out of those, those targets, which was huge. If you look at the biggest plays in the game, he, he got, let me see. It was the second most valuable play of the game. Uh, three, about four EPA on the 31 yard touchdown that was on third and three. And then, you know, he got, Another touchdown on second and seven for 22 yards. That was 2.5 EPA. So those are huge. And those are really, really big numbers. Burrow also had a big pass down the sideline for to Jamar Chase, which is a big play. And on the other side, you know, the one kind of play that I'll say was a little bit on the on the fluky side was probably Lawrence's long pass to LaVisca Chenault. And Chenault was huge in this game. Uh, I think it was a breakout game for Chenault. I was expecting Marvin Jones to be more involved. He had been leading the team in air yards, but he came through there. Um, And the other thing that I would say was a little bit unexpected in this game is the lack of turnovers, right? Because Burrow had, you know, some of the most interceptions in the league. He had the worst score as far as negative EPA via interceptions going into this game. But in this game, they were, you know, both teams very clean. No, no INTs, no fumbles lost, uh, only that one turnover on downs that I mentioned. So it was a very, very clean game. Never really in doubt as far as the seven and a half is, was concerned for the Jaguars. So it, it's fun to, to, to put a little something on these games, to have a little sweat. And I'll just throw out the disclaimer before I get into the rest of the games for this week that 
I'm a believer in efficient markets, especially in betting uh, sides and totals in the NFL, uh, in particular going into the weekend. But I'm still going to talk about some of these and some of these underplayed stats, which I think can help maybe get a slightest bit of edge if you want to. And it also, like I said, it, it makes it some fun to watch the games on the weekend. Before I get into that, uh, I want to highlight some of the tools that I'm going to be talking about here that you can get with an edge or an elite subscription, all of our green line stuff, all of our uh, stats that go into some of these advanced stats that I'm going to be talking about as part of my analysis. That's all at pff.com, uh, locked article content. And then of course, DFS stuff that we're putting together and the grades on every player, uh, player prop tool, which is plus minus on every player there. So check out the highest graded players for week three and find early value on spread picks and player pop props for week four at PFF. And then I'll also hit up DraftKings because DraftKings, you know, if you're interested in playing some of these, uh, a few games that I'm going to mention, I'm only going to highlight a few that I think are really worth worth playing this week. Um, but week three of the football is in the books and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week four. I guess week four has already started technically. And uh, with DraftKings Sportsbook, kick off another action-packed week. DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. Listen up because you don't want to miss this. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 on any week one game to receive $150 in free bets instantly. If if the Sportsbook is not available in your state, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up all season long with their daily fantasy contests. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to receive $150 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. All right, so let's let's get to the stats. So the first game I'm going to talk about is actually another game that I'm going to like a little bit of a play on, and that is the Falcons are at home against the good old Washington football team. So let me give you some of the headline stuff here for this game. It is as of the numbers I'm looking at right now, one and a half points. It is a total of 47 and a half. So that is an implied number of 23 points for the Falcons and 24 and a half points for the football team. And I'm going to tell you why I like Washington in this game. So Washington's had a pretty strong uh, offense uh, run offense so far, but I don't think that really matters that much. What's really going to look at is a few of the less predictable stuff that's ended up hurting the uh, the good old football team. One of them is fumbles. So if we look at the total fumble uh, EPA gain or loss off of fumbles and fumbles, fumbles are some of the flukiest plays you can have out there. The uh, football team has lost about six points in EPA net so far this year. They've lost nine and a half on offense alone. And then if you look at the Falcons, they've gained about four EPA so far this year. So they've had a little bit of fumble luck, and yet they still have had these poor performances this year. Uh, another stat that I'm talking about in a lot of these games it doesn't really apply too much in here is the pass rate over expectation. We want those teams that are juicing up their scores through higher pass rates. Both of these teams about been about in line with expectation so far this year. Atlanta's expectation has been higher because they've been trailing more. Atlanta, as I mentioned when I did the wrap up last week, they were you know they were the the worst team against the Giants, even though they ended up coming through and winning there. Uh, they're not passing the ball downfield much at all, and I think. It's important if you're going to look at, uh, you know, Matt Ryan this season, he, if you look at the, his long passing rate, right? So this is the rate of passes that he's throwing more than 15 yards this year. It's 7.7% that with at least 15 air yards, it was 17.6% the year before. And then 21.9%, uh, I'm sorry. It was, it was 21.9% in 2020. And then it was, um, 17.6% in 2019. So it's a huge drop. It was pretty steady the last couple of years and it dropped off the EPA that he's generated on those longer throws. It's negative right now. So it's more incompletions than completions. Now he's a negative about four EPA. Whereas he was getting a healthy chunk 
of his EPA off of those longer passes. He totaled, you know, over 60 EPA both of the last two years that, that he's been playing in there. If you look at his average depth of target, the average depth of target has dropped from 9.3 the year before to 4.9 so far this year. And But a lot of the other peripherals are pretty similar. Uh, positive graded throw rate is way, way down. Again, he's someone who was around 25%. Now it's down to 16%. Big time throws, less than one-tenth of a percent. Uh, after being around four or five percent in previous years, but yet the turnover worthy plays are the same. So I think one of the things that we've seen in studies on aging, and this is one of the reasons I'm so concerned about Matt Ryan, is as players get old, when they near the end, when they near the drop off for quarterbacks, what you traditionally see is not a huge jump in negative play, like negative play. So there are negative uh, throw graded throws don't necessarily go up a lot. Their turnover worthy plays don't necessarily go up a lot, but they lose the ability to make plays, to make big positive plays. And that's exactly what we're seeing from Ryan right now. So he was really falling into that category of a guy who potentially is falling off a cliff. So because of those signals, I'm a little bit more confident that he might actually be reaching cooked status here. And because of that, you know, this is another reason to be interested in, the uh, in the football team this week some other stats that i think are screaming hey we, we should really be uh looking at what's what's going on in this matchup is the pressures so there's a couple different ways i'm going to look at pressure here one of them is your pressure rate the other one is what i'm going to call fast pressure rate and the fast pressure i'm defining as any pressure that happens in less than 2.4 seconds 2.4 seconds is the median pressure time so when you're getting fast pressure those are much more likely to translate into sacks. They're much more likely to be sticky because it's not something that's about the back end as much. Coverage play is a lot less sticky than uh, offense, than defensive line pressure play, and especially less sticky with, with these fast pressures because you're not relying upon a quote-unquote coverage sack to get this. You're not relying upon the, the flukier aspects of the game to get this. So if you look at the football team, again, they've had trouble uh, getting sacks. They don't have uh, the high, they're kind of mid-tier when it comes to mid to low tier when it comes to the EPA that they've derived off of sacking the other team. But yet their, their pressure rate is 13th and their fast pressure rate is 14th. So again, not as high as you would like to see from them. You'd like to see them, you know, above five in the, in the top five or something like that. But if you also think about the quarterbacks that they played, I mean, they have had a play against Herbert who's been getting the ball out of his hands pretty quickly. Uh, they should have done better against Daniel Jones. I think that's true. And then they, they did a good job with Josh Allen and that offense. So they've, they've played some good pressure, some good play there. Um, guys who not, aren't necessarily taking a lot of sacks and pressure, at least in the first two. And then for Daniel Jones, you know, he had some long runs. He had some other plays where he ended up keeping that game uh, close through using his legs. And there's a little bit on the flukier side. Uh, another thing that I'll mention here is, Third down conversions, I'm going to hit on quite a bit here. So I have a model which looks at uh, the distance, field position, all that sort of stuff, and tries to figure out what is the probability of a third, or I should call it late down conversion. So a third or fourth down conversion, and then compares that to how, how often they're actually able to convert it. There's a lot of variation in this. Sometimes there are certain players who are sticky, like there are players like Patrick Mahomes, who seems to season over season, always convert more fourth, third downs and fourth downs than you'd expect. There are others that fall on the other side, but generally these are stats that are going to revert either way. So if we look at the, the net number for these two different teams uh, on the offensive side of things, both teams have had trouble converting late downs. Uh, the Falcons have uh, three and a half, fewer conversions than you would expect. The uh, Washington football team is three fewer conversions. So it's close there. So both of those teams may have a chance to regress a bit. But like I said, I'm a little concerned about Matt Ryan and his ability to not, not falling off a cliff here, but on the defensive side, uh, there's basically nothing for the Falcons, but the, the, the football team defense, this is where they've really gotten hurt this year is third down conversions. They weren't able to stop Josh Allen and Justin Herbert. And those are two guys who I think may they may be saying more about them and those offenses on third down than they're saying about Washington's inability to stop third downs. They've given up seven more uh, conversions on third down than you would have expected. 
seven more. If you look at all the teams in the NFL right now, that's the worst as far as giving up the most third or fourth down conversions over expectation. So they've really gotten hurt here. And if you look at net, they're also the worst. If you combine offense and defense, how many, how many times they've gotten hurt, they have about 10 fewer a combination of fewer uh, offensive conversions or giving up too many defensive conversions. So they've been hurt the most on late downs this year. So I don't think the defense is nearly as bad as some people believe that it might be. I think it's really a function of the fact that they've gotten unlucky on some of the fumble stuff. They've gotten unlucky on the conversions. They've gotten a little bit unlucky playing against Herbert and Josh Allen, who are two strong quarterbacks and they've been getting some pressure, but those pressures are now going to start to translate more to negative EPA, which hasn't happened so far. And you combine that with the fact that there's definitive evidence that Matt Ryan is looking pretty cooked here because of the lack of high end plays. I think I'm going to lock in, uh, the football team uh, minus one and a half here against Atlanta in Atlanta, but against Atlanta as a very, very strong play. Okay. So the next game we have on the agenda here is the Buffalo bills at home against the Houston Texans. This is an ugly one, 17 points. Uh, the implied number for the Texans is only 15 so this is looking really, really bad. I mean, there's not a whole lot to say here. Uh, Buffalo's run defense has been really strong this year, and their pass defense has been strong. They have a, they have a third-ranked defense in EPA per play, which I was a little bit surprised to see. I was also a little bit surprised to see that their pressure, they're getting a lot of pressure. I didn't necessarily think of them as being a strong pressure team. Um, so it's, it's kind of a bad matchup with the Texans. The Texans are giving up a ton of pressure. They gave up a ton of fast pressures. The worst team in the league giving up fast pressures. If you look at that game last week against the Panthers, the Panthers were getting a uh, fast pressure on 75% of the time. They were getting a pressure in less than that 2.4 seconds. So they were just crushing there. And if you look at the net conversions, what's interesting is so far this year, that Buffalo team is converting more late downs on offense than you'd expect and is giving up fewer conversions on defense than you'd expect. Again, you know, I don't, I think there's some regression maybe there for Buffalo, but not a ton. The problem is it's just a huge, huge number. I do think you could probably blindly bet any NFL team at plus 17 and hope for the best there. Um, but it's not one that I have a strong opinion on either way. I thought Davis Mills looked pretty good. He graded okay in our system. Like I said, he was under heavily under pressure in that game. But at the same point in time, it's really tough to feel at all confident in him. And I'm just less confident in these teams that have rookie quarterbacks starting their second start of all time versus other teams that we have, you know, a few game sample and previous years of those quarterbacks to look at. So I, I'm going to skip that one. I'm going to skip that one as far as we're, we're not really going to look at any sort of play there. And like I said, I'm not going to try to have a play play on everything that's going on here. Okay. So the next game here is the Chicago bears versus the Detroit lions. The bears are a three point favorite to me that has built into it that Nick Foles or Andy Dalton is probably going to start or probably one of those two are going to start this game. I think Dalton looks like he's on schedule to start field was awful. I talked about that in the Tuesday pod that you can go back and listen to as far as everyone trying to heap all this blame on Matt Nagy, but it's really that offense was just, uh, uh, as I called it, the proverbial shit sandwich that everyone was taking a bite of that one. Uh, no one was safe there. They have the second worst total offense in EPA per play for the bears so far this year. Uh, the lions are, 23rd. So the Lions aren't great. The Lions defense is really what the problem is. Their drop back defense, they're 32nd in the NFL. They haven't had, you know, the easiest schedule so far. So you could say that. You could say, well, they played against the Ravens, they played against the Packers, they played against the 49ers. So those are offenses that are all pretty capable, but at the same time, it's never good to be dead last. And that's dead last, including the fact that Marquise Brown dropped multiple long touchdowns last week <laughs> that, that could have made it even worse. Um, some interesting numbers to think about here. The, um, the one thing that Detroit really has going for them is they're, they're getting pressure on on the quarterback. Now they haven't been able to translate that pressure into a ton of EPA and to wins, but they're actually fourth. They have the fourth highest fast pressure rate in the NFL and those quarterbacks that I mentioned that they're playing against, again, San Francisco offensive line, Green Bay is a little bit banged up their offensive line. There's been some issues there with, um, with the Ravens and 
Lamar Jackson is someone who likes to hold the ball, but we're talking about fast pressure rate here. So they are a little bit faster than, than normal. So I think that's interesting. And offensively, they've been okay. The lines have been okay. Um, and if you look at conversions, both of these teams have been really, really bad as far as their net conversions. They haven't been playing well on, on third downs at all. So if I were going to lean anyway here, I would lean towards the the lions i think uh with the points here but i don't have a real strong feeling on this in particular because i don't really know who's going to be starting for the bears at quarterback but the chance that fields is starting does make it kind of interesting just to say you could go in that direction okay the next game here dallas and carolina so i was singing the panthers praises after what they did last thursday night um and the particular thing you're looking at here is pressure they have this kind of uh ghost pressure simulated pressure defense where they're bringing a bunch of guys up to the line and then peeling some back and then having some go forward and they've been very very successful with that they're first in the nfl with their pressure rate they're first in the nfl with their fast pressure rate too so it's not just quarterbacks holding the ball i know that when you're looking at the the panthers you could say oh well you know they played against zach wilson they played against Jameis winston and they played against davis mills so it makes a lot of sense but they're getting there quickly and those offensive lines not the jets so much Maybe not the Texans so much, although they do have Laramie Tunsil and some other guys there. But the Saints have a good offensive line. So they were getting pressure against uh, against Jameis in that game. This was not – it's not been totally fluky for them, even though they haven't had strong competition. Now, if you look at some of the other metrics that we have here, what's interesting, eh, there's, there's not a whole lot to go, to go off of. Uh, everyone is really gaga over the Cowboys' offense and how good it has looked. I mean, they've been okay. The total offense, they're 12th. Carolina's actually been better, 11th in total offense. And what's kept Dallas in some of these games is the fact that they've had uh, some fumble luck defensively. So they've gotten almost 10 EPA off of fumbles so far this year. So I think that that has helped them quite a bit, right? Is the fact that they've been able to, to get a little bit more EPA than you would have thought off of off of fumbles and if you also look with the um interceptions i mean we saw the pick six last week right so they've also been getting a decent amount of epa off of interceptions even though they faced tom brady justin herbert and jalen hurts now hurts maybe isn't necessarily a guy that you'd expect not to throw the ball away a lot but you know they got interception epa off of tom brady which you wouldn't have expected right uh based on the fact that there was a drop by Fournette that flew right into someone's hands. They got the fumble luck that we mentioned for the fact that there was a fumble by Chris Godwin down the field. That's a little bit fluky in that game. They got the pick six against, against Jalen Hurts. Uh, they got interceptions and some strange kind of ugly-ish interceptions against Justin Herbert. So for all those different reasons, I think I'm probably believing in Carolina a bit more than some others here. So you have Carolina, you can get the four and a half points there, which isn't bad. They've had solid defense. They've actually had a better offense, even though everyone is uh, loving the Cowboys offense so far this year. And if you look at the pressure that the Cowboys are getting, I mean, they're 32nd in total pressure. They're 27th in fast pressure. So they're not getting any pressure. So I don't know if they're really going to rattle Sam Darnold that much in this, in this game. So for, for all of those different reasons, these are both teams that are passing over expectations. So I like that too. They've been good there. I think Christian McCaffrey is an X factor in this game. The fact that he's not there, Chuba Hubbard definitely can't catch nearly as well, but luckily they're not like as dependent on him as I even think new England offense might be dependent upon James white because of the fact that they have, you know, DJ Moore, they have Robbie Anderson, they have other weapons that they can, they can get the ball to there on offense uh, Terrace Marshall, you know, the rookie that they can get the ball to. So they, they have this, this, this portfolio of players they can get the ball to, which I think will be important. It hurts to have JC Horn go down with the foot injury, but they're bringing in CJ Henderson. We'll see how he, he mixes on defense, but I think Carolina has a better chance than most do of, uh, of covering this here and, and, uh, getting close and this being more of a toss up sort of game than a lot of people are giving credit for, uh, Carolina at Dallas. Okay, so the next game here is Miami versus the Indianapolis Colts. Now, just ugly, right? It's a two-point line. Miami's at home. There are two-point favorites, 42.5 over under, which is low, and it makes sense. So that brings the implied totals to about 22 and a quarter for the Dolphins and 20 for the Colts. 
Okay, let's go through some of the big headline numbers here. The Dolphins have the 28th ranked offense and the Colts have the 26th ranked offense in EPA per play. Bad. Both bad. Dropback offices, 27th and, and 28th. Uh, if you look at Jacoby Brissett's numbers last week when he started, he had okay grading, but man, he's only averaging four something yards per attempt. He just was not pushing the ball down the field. It was really ugly in that, in that regard. And I think that just really lowers the, the upside of that offense, especially with players like Will Fuller and Jalen Waddle. If you can't use those guys down the field, I'm a little bit questioning on some of this. Both of these teams have had a ton of fumble luck so far this year. A lot of it has been strip sack fumbles that they've gotten. They're both about 11 to 15 net positive in the fumbles that they've gotten. And they've also not turned the ball over a lot. I mean, that's one thing you can kind of count on from Jacoby Brissett. And it's also a surprising thing that you can count on from, um, from Carson Wentz this year. That's been really the transformation of, of Carson Wentz. I mean, he's not, he's not doing much offensively, right? If you look at his EPA per play, it's pretty mediocre so far this year. I mean, let's bring up Wentz where he sits at EPA per play. So his EPA per play is 26th. So it, it's pretty bad so far this year, but what he's done though, and it works if their defense was playing a little bit better, but what he's, what he's done is he's cut down on the negative plays so far this year. I mean, it's tough to have a negative plays higher than what you had last year, but He, if you look at his turnover worthy play rate, he doesn't have one. Carson Wentz does not have a turnover worthy play so far this year. Believe that or not. He was almost 5% turnover worthy plays last year, which of course led the NFL, but he was also three and a half the year before. So it was pretty high. Both of those, both of those years, Uh, his negatively graded throw rate is only 8.2% versus being 18% the year before. So he is lowering the variance there. So I think it's interesting. We have two kind of low variance boring offenses and his a dot has gone down from 9.4 to 6.8 and his time to throw has gone down a little bit there so he's really made this kind of a a a boring offense for Carson Wentz and for the Colts and the same is the, the case for the Dolphins now there isn't a ton to look at defensively neither one of these teams has been getting uh much pressure although if you think if you look at what the Colts have been doing which I think is interesting is they're not getting a ton of pressure overall. Uh, their pressure rank is 26, but they've been getting a lot of fast pressure. They're seventh in fast pressure so far, so far this this year. And I think that's because they were playing against Tanhill was getting the ball out quickly. Stafford was getting the ball out quickly. Uh, it's interesting. Russell Wilson was in there. Uh, where he doesn't necessarily get the ball out quickly, but they didn't have a chance to, to get a lot of longer pressure on him because the back end was not holding up in that game. So, you know, long story short, when we look at all the different numbers here, I would lean Indiana plus the points, even though it's in Miami here. Uh, I think the Colts have a better quarterback play. If Wentz can get that high end stuff a little bit better, maybe it'd be a little bit more mobile this week. They've been running the ball a little bit more effectively. I think that helps. And, Wentz has been avoiding turnovers. This is a defense that really, the defense for the Dolphins that really counts on gaining turnovers. That's what they were. They were one of the top teams in the NFL last year. They may have been the top team in EPA gained off of turnovers. So we'll see if that, and they're continuing it this year with a bunch of defensive uh, uh, fumble luck there. So we'll, I think that's less likely to continue going forward. All right. Next on the agenda Vikings Browns. This is an interesting one because I know some, a lot of people like the Browns here uh, minus two at the Vikings. Eh, I'm, I'm really indifferent to this game. I mean, the Browns have the top run offense in the NFL, but if you look at success rate, they're only number four in success rate, but they're so far above everyone else in their EPA per play running the ball. And I think that's something that's going to regress a little bit. Not that they won't continue to be the best running offense in the NFL, but they're not going to outperform their, their success rate by so much. They're not going to get these huge running plays that they've, they've gotten at the same level. They'll still do it more often than others, but not at the same level. And the run offense for the Vikings, which I think can turn around a bit has been 15th. Um, now what's going to regress for the Vikings is the fact that they've had the fourth ranked passing offense 
And I'm not expecting that going forward. Whereas the Browns have been at 11th. Uh, some turnovers from Baker Mayfield have, have held that down. So these are two top five offensive teams overall. They're going against each other. And defensively, they've both been in the middle of the pack, although the Browns were more like in the 20s before they faced against Justin Fields. So when they've, fa- when they've had to play decent quarterbacks, right? They, remember, they've had Fields and they had Ty- Teron Taylor was killing them before Davis Mills came in. Um, so they've had these two easy matchups back back there. Uh, Mahomes, I mean, who was Mahomes, was crushing him the week before. So I still don't think this defense has really proven anything for the Browns so far. If you look at the pressure, they are eighth in, in defensive pressure that they're generating, the, the Browns. But they're 19th in fast pressures because they've had some quarterbacks who are holding the ball. And that's how they're getting those pressures. So I, I think their pressure numbers are a little bit less impressive than you might, than you might think. Um, now on the other, from the flip side of things, the Vikings are second in pressure generated and second in fast pressures. So that's good for them. The Browns have a net conversion advantage on third downs of almost seven. So that's a big one. They're, they're in the top five as being the best teams and Baker's not someone who's been consistently converting on on third down so far this year. So that'll be an interesting one. Um, But the Vikings have also been very, very good in their conversion so far, so far this year. So we'll see how that ends up uh, playing out. But um, I think this one is kind of a wash. It's really difficult. It'll be a fun game to watch as far as who's going to go on. But I think I wouldn't be confident either way where this is. Of course, it's a number that's between the threes too. So uh, I don't think there's a lot to, to gain off of this one. All right. So the, Next game on the agenda here is the Saints and the New York football Giants. Saints are a seven-point favorite at home against the Giants. This is another stay-away type of game for me. I don't really know what to do with Jameis so far this year. Um, If you look at his rankings, he is 26th in grade and 17th in EPA. He obviously was much, much higher before he had some struggles in some recent games. But what I think is interesting about this team, the one number that I'll point out more than anything else is that the Saints are really playing turtle, turtling on offense here. They have a pass rate of 49.4%. Now, it's their expectation. Their expected number is low because they've had some blowout wins when they have one. It's only 58%, but they're still 8.6% under expectation, which puts them dead last as far as pass rate over expectation or first in pass rate under expectation, you could say. So they're not driving much of an advantage there. I'll be interested to see if they let Jameis pick it up a little bit more here. I think it could be obviously beneficial for them. Uh, they haven't lost a fumble so far this year. So they've gotten, they've had a good score there. This is a very low implied number. This is, this is only a 42 over under. So it's only a 17 and a half implied number for the giants this year. If you look at how they've played so far, the giants offense has actually been a little bit better than the saints offense. They're 16th versus 21st, but defensively the saints have been really, really good. And I think they're going to get some, some, some pressure I'd be interested in because they ha- they've been kind of low overall in their defensive pressure numbers. They're near the bottom of the league, but I feel like in this sort of matchup, they can be good because the Giants defense has been near the bottom of the league on how many pressures that they're giving up. So this is one I would lean a little bit towards the Saints, um, but it's just too difficult. This one's kind of a stay away from me just because of the up and down of Jameis, whether or not they're really going to let him pass the ball because if they don't, I think that's a problem. And I think for the Giants, Daniel Jones has looked okay. He has a good grade, but he hasn't had a good EPA per play so far. And I think it's going to progress more towards his EPA than it is going to stay at that grade level. All right, before we continue with the rest of the games, I'm going to hit up uh, the last ad here for Western and Southern. The Unexpected Points podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to identify your needs and address your goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernandsouthern.com slash PFF. Okay, we go from one New York team to another. We have the Jets at home against the Tennessee Titans. 
So this is a six and a half point spread. I'm a little bit surprised. It's not higher than that, honestly, for the Titans. Uh, 44 and a half over under. That gives a 19 implied number for the Jets, which means I think people think they're at home and people are not very confident in that Tennessee defense. And it makes some sense. I mean, the Tennessee defense so far this year has been 19th. Uh, believe it or not, the Jets have been eighth in total defense, but that's a little bit skewed because they've been seventh in run defense, 17th in drop back defense, and teams have just been running the ball a ton against them because they don't have to pass the ball, right? Uh, Jets have the worst EPA per play on their, in their passing offense, 32nd. Tennessee is actually 21st, which is surprising. And I think part of that is because of fumbles. So I'm going to talk about this when it comes to the Titans. I do think Ryan Tannehill is susceptible to strip sacks. And that's part of the fumble problems that they've had so far on this team. Um, but they've been the unluckiest as far as fumble EPA lost. It, they haven't gotten any fumbles. They haven't gained any EPA fumble recoveries on defense, and they've lost almost 22 points on offense. So that's by far the worst. And if you look at the jets, the jets actually haven't lost a fumble on offense and they've gained 13 EPA on defense. So the jets have actually been lucky in the context of being so awful uh, everywhere else. The problem for this game, of course, is injuries for the Titans and why you wouldn't be more confident. And this is probably what is holding down the number in this game is the fact that people are concerned about the injuries. So as of now, it looks like AJ Brown is out. I think it might be safe at this point to assume that Julio Jones is going to be out. I mean, they haven't moved Brown to IR, I don't think. So I'm not quite sure about that one. But if Brown, if Julio Jones and um, AJ Brown don't play, then you got some issues. Because you got Josh Reynolds, you got Nick Westbrook, Akine, or whatever you pronounce his last name out there. You got Chester Rogers. Those are going to be your guys out there trying to make plays. Uh, Anthony Ferkser, I believe, is back. So he'll be able to play there. So that's a little bit of a concern for the Titans and what's keeping this number down. But I don't think it's as big of a concern as, as others might think because of the fact that this is a team that, you know, they don't pass the ball a ton. They're 30th in their um, pass rate over expectation. They're 7.5% less than what you would expect there. Um, what I thought was interesting is defensive pressure. You know, this Titans defense, they're actually sixth in the defensive pressure. They're only 16th in the fast pressure, but they're not, it's, it hasn't been as bad as I would have thought, right? And they're not giving up a ton of pressure offensively. So I think that's at least a little bit interesting as far as um, how the Titans can win this game. And I don't know, I would lean towards them at six and a half, even, even though they're six and a half point favorite, but I'm not in love with either one here. And from a Jets perspective, I don't think Wilson has been as bad as maybe the EPA implies. He's actually at a higher grade than Trevor Lawrence, at least going into week four. Lawrence probably going to bump above him here, but he's been bad. There's no way to get around the fact that he's been bad. And I don't necessarily think this is going to turn around because of all the different moving pieces that they're trying to get, get working here on offense. Uh, probably no Elijah Moore this, this, this week too, although the return of Jameson Crowder. So that could help. That, that could be a net benefit to having a safety blanket there because Corey Davis is just not showing he can be that guy to be super reliable, despite the fact that Wilson is really targeting him at a very high rate so far this year. Okay. Next on the agenda, Philly KC. This is an interesting one. I know everyone's going to love to potentially tease this one, but no, but they won't move it up above seven because it'll get teased down. So KC is a seven point favorite at Philly. It's a 54.5 over under. So that means a 30 and three quarters. So over 30 points is the implied total for KC, 23 points for the Eagles. Uh, I mean, the KC still has the number one offense in the NFL, believe it or not, when you net out some of those fumbles that they've had, because they got three different fumbles, right? Um, they had Edwards Hilaire a couple of times, and then um, Tyreek Hill after a catch last week. So they've been getting killed on their fumbles. They're a negative 14.3 as far as the net on, on the fumbles so far this year. So that's something that's held them down. Their defense is dead last in EPA per play. That's been very, very troubling. So you have to figure that's probably going to regress to get a little bit better. Uh, I'm a little bit annoyed by the Chiefs only being fourth and pass rank, uh, pass 
percentage over expectation. They're at 5.9%, where in prior years, they've been well over 10%, and they've been first in prior years. They need to get back to that. I know that the rushing offense outside of the fumbles hasn't been bad for Edwards Hilaire, uh, but they're increasing. They're also increasing their under center looks. It was very small before, don't get me wrong, but they're increasing their play action under center and their under center looks generally. And I, I don't get that. I don't get they're doing there. Uh, Mahomes has always been more successful out of play action from the shotgun than he has been play action under center. I think it takes away some of his strengths, having his back to the defense when he plays like that, rather than just letting him dissect what's going on out of the shotgun. So I'm hoping, hoping that they'll do a little bit less of that going forward. Also, he's always been, Holmes has always been one of those weird guys who didn't get any benefit from playing in play action under center versus a lot of other offenses that do. And if you look at the net conversions, I mean, Mahomes continues to convert late downs over expectation, but that's something that, I think is sticky going forward, but the defense is giving up a ton of third down conversions and with Justin Herbert and continuing to do that all the time. Uh, Baker Mayfield was able to do that. Uh, Lamar Jackson had a couple of uh, plays where he's able to do that. So, so I think that's, that's interesting. Uh, the, the chiefs defense is really getting no pressure. So Jalen hurts is going to have some time here to throw, which I think will be interesting. And I'm kind of interested in the fact that the Eagles are actually six in pass rate over expectation. So they're not afraid to pass the ball here, which I think can be good or bad, depending upon um, whether or not Hurts can avoid turnovers, because that's what killed them in the Cowboys game. So I would lean Kansas City here. Seven points is a lot, though, So, but I would still think that the problem with, with Kansas City is they just don't do the things that you're hoping they're going to do to press their advantage. That is going for on four of downs, passing a little bit more, not running it as much as they've been running it so far here. Um, not playing under center. I don't get playing under center with this offense at all. So you kind of hope those things revert a little bit because they're trying to transform their offense a little bit more with more running plays and more under center work. And I would say, let's, let's not do that as much um, unless they don't have confidence in that offensive line, but they spent so much money in draft capital with the trade for uh, Orlando Brown there. They need to show a little bit more confidence in that offensive line going forward. Okay. Next is the Rams of Los Angeles, the three and O Rams of Los Angeles against the three and O Arizona Cardinals. It is a four, it's four points. It's in LA 54 and a half over under. So that's gives an implied of 29 and a quarter for the Rams and 25 and a quarter for the Cardinals. So the Rams number one drop back offense in the league. And the thing here is, are we confident that Matthew Stafford will continue to be this super efficiency producer? Maybe. Um, I mean, he's converted four more first downs than you would have expected. So again, he's he, he and he had those big, big third down conversions to um, Deshaun Jackson last week, which I think helped extremely. Uh, they haven't been running the ball well, but it hasn't really mattered for them so far. And if you look at um, what they've been doing as far as their pass rate over expectation, where are they? They are seven. So they're 5.3 over expectation. So they've done a good job uh, juicing that passing game. I mentioned on the wrap up that they did a really good job as far as how they game planned um, against the Bucks last week and just allowed them to pass quite a bit there. If you look at their dropback success rate versus efficiency, the Rams are fifth, no, fourth or fifth in success rate and they're first in efficiency. So again, will that continue? It might because of this offense and a new turnaround, but we are seeing some warning sides for potential regression in those two different categories. Now, defensively, uh, let's look at some of the pressure numbers. We're looking at the trenches here. Both teams have been really good at avoiding pressure offensively. Uh, as far as fast pressures are concerned, the uh, Cardinals have been the fourth best team. I'm oh, sorry, the third best team in avoiding fast pressures. The uh, Rams have been the fourth. So they're getting the ball out quickly and avoiding those there. And defensively, uh, the Cardinals have actually been better as far as getting fast pressures. They're 12th versus 22nd for the Rams. So the Rams aren't getting quite as much pressure as you would have hoped on defense too. So I think I like the Cardinals in this game, uh, plus the four points you're getting over the three. So that's good. I think they're 
probably as good of a team. I haven't been as much of a believer offensively in what the Cardinals are doing, but they haven't been as reliant as they were last year. The problem last year was they were so, so reliant on Kyler and his running ability, those the first half of the season when they were outperforming, right? And if you look at Kyler this year, he has two and a half EPA and scrambles and his rush EPA is basically flat. It's almost nothing. And those numbers were huge. I mean, you look at the full season numbers. Remember, these are numbers that dropped severely in the second half of the season for Kyler. He was 35 EPA from scrambles last year, 20 EPA from rushing the ball. He was getting these long touchdown runs rushing the ball. So they haven't been relying upon that this year. Yet his EPA per play, even with, without this huge rushing advantage he was getting last year, his EPA per play is up to uh, 0.17 versus 0.08 last year. If you look at the rankings for my man, Kyler, let's look. He is ninth in EPA ranking fifth in grade. So his grade's even better than his EPA. And that would have been the exact opposite before. So I'm starting to get a little bit confident in this offense. I don't think that AJ Green's been that positive of an addition, but at least he's a body who they can rely on better than Larry Fitzgerald. They have Ronda Moore they can bring in there. Uh, they haven't faced the stiffest defenses so far, but they have, um, let me see, who have they faced so far? So they faced Tennessee in week one. I remember that Minnesota and Jacksonville. Of course, they beat up on Jacksonville quite a bit, but they were playing even well before that. Um, so, you know, I'm not believing in Kyler yet, but there's been po enough positive signs there, I think, that you can be okay. There's more reasons for the Rams to regress a bit on what they'll be doing offensively than the Cardinals. And they're both these three and O teams. You're, you're getting a little bit of a power rating advantage for the, for the Rams at minus four. So I think it's interesting. I, I probably wouldn't play it either way. I just enjoy the game, but I think that the Cardinals are moving up my, my rankings as far as a team that I might actually be able to believe in this, this year. Okay. Um, Getting into more of the late games here, Denver, Baltimore. Now this one is one that I would make a play and that is for the Denver Broncos. They're plus one. So it doesn't really matter. We're, you know, we're between the three. So it doesn't matter a whole lot there. Uh, the, the total is 44 and a half the implied for the Broncos is 21 and three quarters versus 22 and three quarters for the Ravens. I'm liking the Broncos quite a bit. Uh, they're 22nd in run offense, but third in drop back offense. So they haven't been running the ball that well, but again, you know, who cares, right? Does running really matter that much? I mean, Bridgewater has been a bit better as far as his EPA than a success rate. So maybe that will revert a little bit. There are some issues with KJ Hamler not being there now. So they don't have Judy and Hamler, but all that being said, the defense has been really, really good. And again, I talked about this on Tuesday about the ain't playing nobody. I think, Denver's getting unfairly punished from the fact that they ain't played nobody, but look, we just saw the Jaguars play a pretty good game against the Bengals right on Thursday night. So yeah, they played the jets. They played the Jaguars. They played the giants and the giants look pretty good the Thursday night before that against, against the Redskins. So I don't, number one, I don't know if they ain't played nobody. And number two, if you're going to ain't play nobody, you better destroy those nobodies. And that's what they've done so far is absolutely literally crush these teams, right? They're fifth in total offense. Uh, despite not running the ball well at all. And that's, they're running the ball a lot with leads and they are second in total defense first against the pass. So if you look at the passing angles of it, which are most important third in EPA per play uh, offensively dropping back first against opponents, dropbacks, very, very strong Baltimore 28th against opponents dropbacks. And you could say, Oh, well, you know, they played against the Mahomes, So that's part of it there. Yeah. You know, that's part of it, but they also, you know, they also lost to uh, the Raiders who, yeah, I mean, you know, Derek Carr is playing well this year. Don't get me wrong, but they gave up, a, they gave up a ton there and the lions, you know, they barely won that game. I know there were some Marquise Brown drops, but they barely, barely won that game there. So Denver's actually fumbled the ball a ton. So they've lost more often of fumbles than what you would have expected there. I don't know if it's that important. They've been right in line with expectation as far as their passing is concerned, which I think is good. The Ravens are lower. Uh, it was interesting that Lamar only ran the ball. He had a couple of design runs last week. And I think that's a problem if they're not going to be doing that a lot more going forward. And if you look at the pressures right now, the, uh, 
the Broncos are getting 15th in pressure and the pressure percentage and the Ravens are only 30th. So I think this is a trench advantage here for the Broncos too. So there's just a lot of things that are pointing towards the Broncos. I, I like betting on teams who are destroying by destroying bad teams. Cause everyone's going to discount that as if they're barely winning against bad teams. That's not the case. Um, and it's tough to play in Denver. Denver's always had a traditional advantage with the altitude, especially early in the season. So I think that's another advantage that the Broncos will have. And I'm willing to take that point and go with the Broncos this, this week. Okay. And the next matchup in the afternoon is green Bay Pittsburgh. Oh, yikes. Now this is one of those ones where you look at it and you say, ah, six and a half points. That's a lot against a good Pittsburgh defense is going to have TJ Watt back, but can anyone bet on Pittsburgh right now? I don't think so. I mean, Roethlisberger was cooked, cooked, cooked. He's the most likely of being cooked because he was even cooked last season. Um, offensively, they're 27th in EPA per play, uh, but defensively, they're 20th. Now, they're only 26th against the pass, though, which is a little bit surprising, but some of that is based upon the fact that they got crushed efficiency-wise by Joe Burrow when TJ Watt wasn't there. Both of these teams have actually had more fumble luck than you would have expected. They're both passing over expectation. Um, The Packers are giving up more pressures and fast pressures than anyone in the NFL, which is shocking, although that did not happen against the 49ers. So maybe they're getting things together a little bit this year. And the Pittsburgh is also giving up a ton of pressure so far this year. This is an interesting one only from the perspective of can Green Bay do what they need to do? I probably wouldn't touch it though at six and a half. It's just... A little too many questions for me on both of these teams. So I'm going to, I'm going to pass on that one. And then new England, Tampa Bay. So actually went in the, let me go San Francisco, Seattle first. So San Francisco, Seattle, this one is a three point favorite are the Niners. It is a 52. That's a big total uh, 27 and a half implied for them. 24 and a half for the Seahawks. If you look at the team so far this year, no one believes in San Francisco. No one believes in Jimmy Garoppolo, but he continues to be efficient from a EPA perspective, his grading's in the twenties, but he's fifth in drop back offense for the, um, the, the 49ers 11th for the Seahawks. The Seahawks had this huge advantage in their EPA per play versus their success rate. And that, that regressed a bit and kind of got back to normal, which was a, a problem. They're still performing way, way better from a drop back efficiency standpoint than from a drop back success rate. They're in the bottom half for their success rate, but they're in the top half in their efficiency. So that's something to continue to monitor and maybe worry a little bit about going forward for them. Uh, the Seahawks are also second in their run offense in EPA per play, and maybe that'll continue, but we don't know about that necessarily. The, the, the Niners have really had downside here from a fumble perspective. They haven't gained any EPA defensively from fumbles, and they've lost 14. So I think that's a reason to like them a little bit here. Um, the Seahawks p- fifth pass rate over expectation. So that's pretty strong for them. They've been getting more pressure. The Niners have not been getting pressure, which is shocking, but the Seattle offensive line has been the third worst as far as giving up fast pressures here. So I think that is potentially a problem for uh, Seattle here. If the, Niners can get their, their scheme turned around. Now, injuries are issues here. Let me just go to the injury lineup here to go through all this different stuff. So the injury reports, a lot of questionable guys here. Josh Norman's questionable, probably out. Jason Verrett, we knew about that ACL a while ago that's happening. Uh, Elijah Mitchell will be back in the backfield. Probably doesn't matter that much. Uh, Kinlaw is questionable. They're going to have to piece together some stuff defensively here. And, I think Lockett and Metcalf and Estridge are all be fine for the Seahawks. So I don't think that's a problem there, but all those guys are questionable. So we'll have to see if anything here, I would actually lean towards the 49ers, even though your three points is not ideal, but I wouldn't necessarily play this either way, but I think they would be the more undervalued team out of these two at this point and time. Okay. It's time. New England, Tampa Bay the matchup everyone's looking for the promo. God, that they ran for that thing last week. It was like some sort of uh, uh, action movie suspense horror all together. Uh, as far as these two guys getting back 
getting back at each other. Tampa Bay, seven-point favorite in New England. Um, Tampa Bay's run defense is doing what it can do. It's kind of a flipped here. They're third best running the ball. The opponents are just passing like crazy against Tampa Bay. Um, so we'll see, because that really does not match up very well with what New England's tried to do this year. New England is mid-tier as far as their pass rate over expectation, but that shifted a lot this last game where they were playing from behind and had to pass a lot. Ideally, they would not be passing a lot at all. Uh, Tampa Bay is number one in pass rate over expectation. They're 15% over expectation. They've been passing a ton, a ton. Both of these teams have suffered from poor fumble luck. Um, Shockingly, Tampa Bay has not been converting third downs. They actually have two fewer third down conversions than expected, which is weird because Tom Brady is normally a guy who's over there. So that has some chance to revert going forward. Um, they're creating as much, they're, they're taking a lot of pressure. Actually, Brady's taking a decent amount of pressure. So that's something to watch uh, if that continues going forward. I really don't want to play on this one either. Seven points is a lot on the road. Although I think that supposedly money is just flooding in on the bucks right now. Uh, according to our numbers, let's see if we have the numbers to back that up. So according to our numbers, 88% of the cash is coming in on the Bucks and 90% of the tickets. So everything is flowing in there. People probably don't want to go up to seven and a half, maybe in some of these books, because then it'll get teased down uh, through a couple of key numbers. So it's sticking at seven right now. So there could be a little bit of value on Tampa Bay because of that, but I'm going to stay away from that one generally. And our last game of the week is going to be the Chargers against your undefeated Las Vegas Raiders. Three points. Chargers are at home. It's a three-point number. 51 and a half over under. 27 and a quarter implied for the Chargers. 24 and a quarter for Vegas. Vegas had a worse run, de- run offense in the NFL. They got to stop running the ball. What is their expectation? Their run rate? Their 10th in pass over expectation. Ah, you got to boost that up, buddy. Can't run the ball for crap over there. Uh, they're sixth in their drop back offense, eighth for the Chargers. Herbert's actually probably been better than eighth. It's just he's had a lot of interception problems there. He had that weird strip sack in week one, two, which has held it down. Uh, the run defense has been really poor for the Chargers. So maybe the uh, Vegas can get something going here on the ground. But both defense has been good against the dropback. That's what's surprising. The Chargers ninth, despite playing Patrick Mahomes. And uh, Vegas is 13th, despite the fact that they played against uh, Lamar Jackson. So total defense, the, uh, the Raiders are actually 11th right now, which is, we'll see if that continues, but it's pretty shocking. Now, the Chargers have gotten really lucky fumbles. A lot of that was in that KC game. They've actually gained about 15.8 points in fumbles. Um, so have the Raiders, though, but 15.8 points is a lot uh, that they've gained there. So that's something to, to keep a look on going forward. They're giving up a lot of pressures for the Chargers, and so that their blocking maybe hasn't been as good as expected. And both teams are converting at a very high rate over expectation, but the Chargers, um, the Raiders' defense has also been keeping teams from converting there. So the Chargers have benefited a little bit more net-net as far as late down conversions, but that's something that could be sustainable for Herbert. Uh, three points. I don't really like this one on either side either. Maybe I'd lean a little bit towards Vegas because again, it's a nobody believe in us type of team, but I'm not really going to go either way on that one other than enjoying the matchup. So to wrap up here, the, the plays I feel the strongest about and we'll, you know, track these. I'll give myself credit for Jacksonville, which I called my lock of the century of the week earlier here. So the, the plays we're going to track here is Washington, minus one and a half that was one of the ones that i liked a lot a lot here carolina plus four and a half was another one that i liked a lot and i'm trying to see was there another one that i really liked no i think those are the two that i really liked the most the most oh i'm sorry denver and denver denver plus one so those are my three for sunday Plus, we already logged. We already, I'll already give myself credit for Jacksonville plus seven and a half on Thursday. But the other ones, Washington 
minus one and a half Carolina plus four and a half and Denver plus one, you know, I have a model for over unders, but I'm not, I'm not so confident in that one. And I don't think it's as fun to talk about either. So I hope all of these, uh, the stat review has helped, especially those stats, which are a little bit of the flukier ones that are going, that are going in there and a way to look at this. And this is also backed up by some modeling that I've done in putting together some of the most underplayed stats within spreads and totals. Uh, have fun watching games this weekend. I'll be back at you on Tuesday to review the week and review in detail the most important games from the weekend. Until then, leave a review on iTunes. If you want to leave a review there, you can also leave a question and I'll go ahead and answer that. I appreciate everyone tuning in and I'll talk at you again on Tuesday. See you later.